This morning's reading is Acts 4, verses 1 to 12. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem, with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man had been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that you rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Thank you, Hilary, very much indeed. So is Christianity the only way? That is the big question, the question of hope that we face this morning. And it's one that's often asked in our society, isn't it? We have a very diverse community around us at the moment with people who have deep commitments to other faiths and deep convictions also about not believing. The religious landscape of the 21st century Britain is very complex indeed and very much alive. And this generates for us a critical question in our thinking about hope. Are we the only people who can offer hope in the world today? Is Christianity the only way. Professor Mark Liller is an American political scientist and author, and he once wrote of a bright young student at Wharton Business School who'd gone forward at a Billy Graham crusade to give his life to Christ. And he writes, I wanted to cast doubt on the step he was about to take, to help him see there are other ways to live, other ways to seek knowledge, love, even self-transformation. I wanted to convince him his dignity depended on maintaining a free, skeptical attitude towards doctrine. I wanted to save him. I wanted to save him. That was the language of the professor in responding to a bright young lad who was going to give his life to Christ. I wanted to save him from that. The professor believed that his view was better than Billy Graham's. And it's so interesting that he used the language of salvation, wanting to save this young student from what he considered to be the damaging consequences of believing in Jesus. Now in our reading today, Peter and John had been put in prison for causing a stir. A lame man had been healed in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, 
whom Peter and John claimed had risen from the dead. And Peter's response the next morning was very clear indeed. He quoted some words from the Old Testament in Psalm 118, verse 22, and then he applied them to Jesus. He said, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. The stone which you builders rejected as irrelevant has become the cornerstone. Now, Peter could have stopped there. It was challenging enough to say to the religious rulers and leaders of the time that Jesus, who was someone who they didn't really have any time for, who they had rejected, had actually become the cornerstone. And he used their sacred writings, the Old Testament, to make that point. That indeed would have been challenging enough. But he went on to say more. He then went on to say, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by, to mankind by which we must be saved. Isn't that extraordinary? There's Peter and John up against it. They'd been put in prison. They were, in effect, before trial. They were speaking about Jesus, who was the most unpopular person who could ever be spoken of at that time. He used the Old Testament to quote and to emphasize the importance of Jesus, that he'd become the cornerstone. But then he went on to say, there is no other way. Now, the New Testament is very clear that Jesus is the only way to God. John 14 and verse 6, words that are very familiar to many of you. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This verse obviously underlines the same point, and so does 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 2 verse 3 asks, how should we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And so the New Testament is very, very clear about this. But of course, that's a point of view which attracts a lot of criticism. It is widely believed that one of the main barriers to world peace is religion. And especially the many traditional religions with their exclusive claims to superiority. It is indeed a controversial claim that Jesus Christ alone connects humankind back to God, that he is the exclusive means of salvation, that he is the only way to heaven, to peace, to ultimate joy in life. Christians are sometimes viewed as narrow-minded when they believe that their way is the only right way when it comes to salvation. But we'll see that there are just as many difficulties when we look at other ways of thinking about the religions of the world. Let me steer you towards three different approaches to world faiths and just see what it really means that we can engage with different people of different backgrounds and different worldviews. Three different approaches, if you like, to the religious landscape across the world. 
So there are three ways that we might look at world faiths. Atheism is the way that says that all religions are false. There is no God, and so any and every faith is wrong. There was a time when it was thought that with the huge explosion of scientific knowledge, that faith would simply fade out of the picture. That as we came to know more, to understand more about this world, we'd just not be interested in believing. But it is quite clear that that is not the case. The world as a whole is hugely religious. And from a global point of view, the atheist view is a small minority. We touched on this in a sermon two weeks ago, Does God Really Exist? And I spoke about God's fingerprints in the universe, in shape and design, in human life, and in his world. And why there may not be irrefutable proof of the existence of God, there's a great amount of evidence. And so I don't want to stay too much with this view today. It is quite clear that there are many, many people across the world who have a very strong and devout faith. And the idea that all religions are false and all of them are problematic is a genuine point of view that some will hold with great conviction. But it's one that has to be questioned when we see those fingerprints of God so clearly embedded in the world around us. That's one point of view. Another point of view would be what we might call inclusivism. They're all isms. Atheism says there's no God. Inclusivism says all religions are true. That there are many different ways to God. Mahatma Gandhi was the primary leader of India's independence movement. He grew up worshipping the Hindu god Vishnu. And then immersed himself in the study of world religions. And he's quoted as saying, my position is that all great religions are fundamentally equal. Now this kind of inclusivism comes from a place of good intentions. Many sincere people will take this point of view. That God has given common grace to people. There are values and desires that we all share. That we need to work with others in bringing about peace and justice in the world today. And this is all very noble. But we do not have to conclude that what others believe is equally true. And that all religions are essentially the same. Because the reality is that in many ways, the different religions in the world are very different. And whilst there may be some common ground, there will be many differences that cannot be overlooked. There may be a lot that is good and true about different faith groups. There may, may, may be many fine people in those communities, but it still doesn't mean that all religions are the same and equally true. Most of those who are deeply committed to one faith or another would not take that position. It may seem attractive, but it's deeply flawed. And so the third approach would be the other ism, which is exclusivism, which says that only one way is right. Atheism says no ways are right. Inclusivism says every way is right. Exclusivism says only one way is right. Jesus claimed to be the only way to God. 
Islam is actually also an exclusivism, exclusivist religion. The only way to heaven is to convert to Islam, to believe in the six main doctrines and the five, practice the five main duties of Islam. A statement of belief, the prayer five times a day, the giving of alms, the fasting during Ramadan, the pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in a lifetime. And actually, although it doesn't seem like it, Buddhism is another exclusive religion. It excludes Hinduism, claims that many of the tenets of Hinduism are unnecessary for people to experience nirvana. And likewise, Sikhism, which is a bit of a very peaceful but nevertheless a rebellion against both Hinduism and Buddhism. It's saying that those ways are wrong because there is a different way. I'm sure you will have heard the parable of the blind men with the elephant. It's used in a number of different contexts. And it is more uh, original form as far as we can tell. It's a story, a parable about a group of blind men who heard that a strange animal called an elephant had been brought to the town and none of them were aware of its shape and form. And out of curiosity, they said, we must inspect and know it by touch, of which we're capable. So they sought it out. And when they found it, they groped about it. And in the case of the first person whose hand landed on the trunk, they said, this feels like a thick snake. And for another one whose hand reached its ear, said it seemed like a fan. For another person whose hand was on its leg, it said the elephant is a pillar like a tree trunk. And the blind man who placed his hand on its side said the elephant is a great big wall. Another who felt its tail described it as a rope. And the last felt its tusk, stating that the elephant is that which is hard, smooth, and like a spear. And the strapline, perspective, is everything. This story is, this parable is sometimes used in the debate about faiths to suggest that each different religion has some element of truth. It's a bit like uh, the foot of an elephant or the trunk of an elephant or the tail of an elephant and so on. And no one has the whole truth. But of course the story does fall down because it's told from the vantage of someone who can see and who can see everything. And yet it's suggesting that no one sees everything. You can only see a little bit here and a little bit there. It can only be a story. It can only be a parable of life. It can be helpful in teaching us to recognize that we do have a limited perspective, to be open to learning from others. But it cannot give us a fundamental understanding of how different faiths relate to each other. And ultimately, as we come back to the Christian faith this morning, we have to focus on the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. There is nowhere else that we can go in coming to a clear understanding of our world today. We have to go to the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And when we go there, we find some amazing things. We find that Jesus is unique in his qualification, that the early church worshipped him as God. This, of course, is what caused such an uproar, but it's based on the conviction that he was utterly unique and totally divine. 
This is what Jesus said about himself. It's the same truth that was proclaimed so boldly by Peter and John in front of their accusers. Jesus is Lord was the great cry of the early church and they lived with that deep conviction ringing in their mind and hearts day after day. Jesus is unique in his qualification. He alone is God. Jesus is unique also in his achievement. No other religions claim to have a savior. Muhammad is a prophet, Buddha is a teacher, but only Jesus is a savior. Only Christianity faces the true reality of human nature, created in the image of God, but fallen, deeply flawed, sinful, and incapable of changing the heart. We need a savior, and that person is Jesus. And only he has ever claimed that role in the world today. He is unique in his achievement. And Jesus is unique in his resurrection. He's shown that it's possible to entrust your life to him because he has risen from the dead. And because he is alive today. And because in our worship, in our prayer, in our daily life, we sense the presence and the power of God through Jesus Christ. This is what makes him unique. This is what makes him so special. This is why with boldness and faith, we can say Christianity can save the world. Tim Keller, writing in The Reason of God, said Christianity has within itself the remarkable power to explain and remove the divisive tendencies within the human heart. Only Jesus can reach that place and change your life. Christians have within their belief system the strongest possible resource for practicing sacrificial love, generosity, and peacemaking. Ultimately, real Christianity is not a religion, but a revelation. It's showing us, revealing to us what God is like through the person, life, and death of Jesus. Truly, Christianity is a message overflowing with hope. So how then do we come alongside those of other faiths in our very mixed environment today? And how do we come alongside in a way that does not just put up walls and barriers and cause all manner of difficulty? Where does Christianity sit in the world of other faiths? I think there are a number of important things that we should keep in mind. There is truth in other religions. Creation is evidence of God's existence. All human beings are made in the image of God. In every heart, there is a hunger for God. And I believe that we should engage in the fullest and most careful dialogue with those who come from a different perspective to our own. Some of my most stimulating and challenging conversations have been with Hindus, Muslims, people of deep conviction and strong faith, but it's different from my own. But I really want to hear what it means to them. What makes them tick? And I really want to understand that. And indeed, I believe that as Christians, we shouldn't only dialogue with those of other faiths, but we should defend their right 
to believe what they believe as we have the freedom to believe what we believe. And we work towards those things that we have in common. And I'm grateful for the insight of Leslie Newbegin that there is also something of a continuity for those who become Christians from other faiths. That even though that conversion often involves a radical change, a radical discontinuity from something that perhaps they've grown up with that's been very significant for many years, and then seeing what is so unique about Jesus and making that change. And yet often looking back, those who have moved from one religion into a Christian conviction will look back and they will sense that in some ways God was dealing with them in their days of pre-Christian wrestling. There are converts to Christianity from Islam who would describe themselves as followers of Isa, using the name for Jesus that is familiar in the Muslim community. There are converts from Judaism who describe themselves as messianic believers. And these are indicators of that sense of continuity between the past and the present. Although something very new and very powerful has been discovered. And so we are in a very eclectic world. A world of many faiths. And yet God has brought to us something in Jesus that is such a special gift, such a precious gift, and something utterly unique. And so as I conclude this morning, for me, and in personal reflection, there is only one way that I know which provides forgiveness of sin, access to God our Father and the promise of eternal life, and that is through Jesus. I can observe that the ways of other faith groups are very different. That those ways can be extremely important to many people. There are certainly aspects of the commitment and lifestyle of those who adhere to other faiths, which I and others, I'm sure, will find deeply challenging. My life is enriched by coming alongside of those of other faiths and listening carefully to their stories and testimonies. But there is something about the Christian understanding of God that I find deeply compelling. Here is grace and love reaching out from God the Father through Jesus Christ to redeem a fallen world. Here is sacrifice beyond measure, a love which has no limits expressed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Here is the promise of new life to those whose trust is completely in him. I know I've grown up with that uh, context that I've been born into a Christian family, lived in a country where my child, in my childhood Christianity was the dominant faith group and I spent much of my working life as a Christian minister. I recognize this context. But I speak of Jesus not because of what I've grown up with, not because of intellectual argument, but because there's something deep down here which says, I know whom I have believed. 
and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that final day. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this amazing world in which we live. And in many ways, it's a complex world. And as we stand as a people of hope, we recognize that we stand alongside those who have many different convictions about life. Whether they might come from an atheist point of view, an inclusivist point of view, or an exclusivist point of view, but from a different faith group to our own. Lord, there are so many people around us who think so differently. Thank you for the precious gift that you have given in your son, Jesus. Thank you for all about him, which is utterly unique. And thank you, Lord, that you are reaching out in love to every single person whom you have made and long that we should all find through Jesus Christ your wonderful gift of eternal life. Speak into our hearts, Lord, today and equip us with hope as we communicate in this world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.